Hey guys, welcome to another episode of In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor. In this episode, I interview Rachel Hersher. Rachel and I grew up together, but that's not why I interviewed her. When she got into young adulthood, she started a parenting book, which has evolved into a parenting podcast called Today's Mama. In all of my conversations with professionals about technology management, what's going on out there, in my opinion, Rachel's got some of the best material. And she's about to release a new book, an ebook called Tech Reset. And that's what we talk about. This is a fun interview. Rachel's hilarious and has a great sense of humor. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get a lot out of it. This is one for the whole family to listen to. So please spread the love. Thanks for joining. Rachel, welcome to In the Trenches. How you doing? Oh, what up? I'm excited to be chatting with my friend Andrew today. That's right. And I got to tell you, uh, Jason Hall and I had dinner this week. Oh, yeah. I love Jason. <laughs> and we were, it's funny because he was talking about that he was listening to your podcast and his wife walked in the room and was like, oh, what are you listening to? And he's like, oh, I'm listening to a, a friend I grew up with. I'm listening to her podcast. They live in Austin, Texas. And his wife was like, well, what's the podcast? And she looks at it and she's like, today's mama, you grew up with Rachel? (laughs) (laughs) I'm dying. Anyway, you are, you are famous. You are a big deal. And I, all this time you've been telling me that and I never believed you, but it was cool. I was excited. I was really excited because what you've created is, is making a difference and has a big impact on what's going on out there today. And I'm proud to be your friend and tell people that you know, I grew up with Rachel, and she's running today's mama. And I don't know the history of today's mama. I know it started out with books on what kids should do in different cities, but let's rewind. And why don't you start there and just let me know where you started. Let us know where you started and where and how it evolved for you. Well, and first of all, Andrew, thank you. You're too good to me. Um, so yeah, that always it's like imposter syndrome. Like, oh man, when's he gonna find out I'm super lame? <laughs> Um, but where it all started, honestly, I'm kind of like the old lady of the internet at this point, because we started our business in 2004 In 2004, Facebook didn't exist. Social media did not exist. And what I had as a new mom was the yellow pages. And so when it came to finding information for like things to do with my kids and all the different resources you want to plug into in your community, that's kind of that and some really bad internet searches, right? And so another uh, friend from high school that you know, Stephanie Peterson, uh, we came together and said, what, what if we made a guidebook? What if we put it all in one place? And so the first thing that we did was we came out with the Utah Mama's Handbook. So it was like a 500 page guide of all the places to go, things to do, sports leagues, music lessons, whatever you wanted to know in your community. Um, and then we started to scale that and we were um, franchising and license, actually licensing that out to different newspaper properties across the country. So we had a Houston mama, a Seattle mama, Bay Area mama, San Diego mama. I mean, I can't tell you how many mama domains I have. We even had some magazines in the Bay Area. Um, and we had, we had a Southern Nevada mama because when we acquired the domain for Las Vegas mama, when you search Las Vegas mama, that was like a dark corner of the internet. <laughs> can imagine. That was a bad idea. Yeah. Anyway, fast forward a little further. In 2008, when the, our awesome economy crashed, 
uh, print became a really bad place to be. And newspapers were bleeding out their jugulars. So our main customer in newspapers was dying. Local businesses started to hurt really bad. So we had to make the hard decision of saying, you know what, print is not a great place to be. It's, you know, it costs a lot. So it's hard because it's really cool to have a physical thing that you made and to hold it in your hands. Um, so that was a real bummer when we made that pivot, uh, but it had to happen. That was, that was where the world was headed, right? So yeah, at that point, we really turned to the world of social media and, and that world and that game uh, evolves at a pace that is so frenetic. And we've been playing that game for a while. So that means online content, um, you know, influencer work, events. Um, and now I just launched a podcast last summer, which has been super fun. But yeah, I mean, it's just lots of pivoting and growing and changing based on how the world has changed. So it went from what should I do with my child today, which mm -hmm. I get that. Jason yesterday was like, hey, what should we go do? And I'm like, I have seven month olds and it's been winter. I have no idea what you should go take your kids to do. So I see the value in that. Yeah. You really evolved into, I, I mean, I hate to use this word, but, but this parenting expert, right? And people are looking to you and that's what you mean by content is you're creating yes. stuff that people are reading and saying, this person knows what they're talking about and I wanna keep coming back. What inspires you? And what inspired you to become that person? And I know it's been a process, but where do you think this came from and, and why do you think you're good at it? Don't be shy. Uh, ever since I was a kid, I think I've always looked at how do I grow up to be the happiest, healthiest, emotionally physically person that I can be because I know you probably remember my youngest sister who was both had both physical and mental illnesses right and that really left a big mark on me because so she had a heart transplant by the time she was eight years old and then she struggled with a ton of mental illness through you know after that and I think a lot to do with medication and her circumstances and all those things tangled together and ultimately she passed away when she was 24 because she got a cancer related to her heart transplant you know from her childhood and it was never lost on me the gift that I had of a brain that was relatively normal <laughs> and a body <laughs> that was pretty healthy and how was I going to protect that but also how would I then in the future raise kids who would have those gifts, right? And so I was always paying attention. I, I've always been paying attention to everything happening around me. I mean, I did, I even studied family and human development in college, but I had no you know, plans to go work in that field necessarily. It was just what interested me the most. Um, so through that whole parenting thing, like you said, when you've got little kids, the question is, oh, what should I, what should I do with my kids? Where should we go? Well, parenting, you start asking progressively bigger, harder questions, right? How do I, how do I teach my son about puberty? <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> um, you know, how do I talk to my kids about sex? How do I, you know, uh, how do we manage the, the world of technology and all these screen time habits? So it's very much, you know, I'm constantly exploring how do this stuff with my own kids? How could I do it better? Talking to other people and then feeling like I've got some really good information that's come together to share that hopefully helps other people. But I'd also say, you know, it's also always growing and changing. So, uh, so 
tell me about your clientele. Who's coming to Today's Mama and why? Uh, so, like, honestly, I'm going to give you my Google demographics, right? Um, it is parents anywhere from 25 to 55, which is a broad spread, right? So on our editorial team, I have to make sure I have people who speak to all those different voices. So like, you know, we have Lindy, who we just added to our team, who's a brand new first time mom, right? And then I've got people on staff with kids in grade school, all the way up to me where, you know, I've got like a sophomore, a freshman and a fourth grader. And so I've kind of got the older set of kids, which means that I'm moving into some of the crazier questions that we have as parents, you know, to address. Uh, but I'd also say our podcast is really evolving the way we create content and who's, who's getting in touch with us. You mentioned Jason listening to the podcast. I can't tell you how many dads have come to me and say, said, I listen to your podcast every week and I'm dying because, you know, they're like so engaged and I call it today's mama podcast and you know, that takes a real man to tune in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've noticed that shift too, and I've been following you closely, and we've, we've crossed paths along the way a few times, and I, I went to one, one of your women's conferences, and you embarrassed me in front of the entire room, but My it's, bad. You're, you're, it's, <laughs> I expected it. I expect nothing less from you, Rach. And then, but the reality is, and this is what I'm noticing, as I've been following you more closely lately as well, and being on your podcast is there it's more today's parent than it is today's mom. And I get the branding behind keeping it what it is, but you really are broadening in that conversation to more relevant topics that are hitting both mom and dad right now. Right. Totally. And you know what, like even our guests, I mean, you notice we've got dudes, you've been on the podcast. Um, you know, we've had other guys on the podcast who they've been some of my favorite episodes. I mean, so there's the parenting conversation. I also think, Today, more than any other generation, dads spend more time with their kids. They change more diapers. They're more hands-on, you know, all the things. And not to fault our dads, right? That generation was just, that's, that was not the norm. But today's dads are super engaged. Um, so I don't think there's really any barriers or like, uh, I don't know, like macho-ness that keeps dads out of being like, hey, I want to be a good dad and I want to know all the things. Yeah, exactly. You're doing a good job with that. What are the pain points that you're seeing in the modern day parent? So for sure, you know, what we're focusing on so much is like you, we've talked about before is this thing we're working on called the tech reset project. You know, today's generation of kids, you know, this um, kind of the tail end of the millennials and this new uh, kind of gen, uh, hold on, what are we calling them? Gen Z? I like, I prefer iGen, but I'm not picky. <laughs> yeah. The, the statistics for their anxiety, depression, suicidal uh, behavior, and actual suicides, I mean, it's staggering. And I feel terrified for a lot of them because honestly, I think this is a problem we will fix. I think we will find the solutions for this thing, but I think we really let down probably a 10-year span of kids with the birth of this technology and with the kind of no-holds-barred use it like you want, put it all in the palm of your hand approach. And I don't, I don't know that I think they're totally lost, but we've given them a pretty hard set of circumstances to work out. You know what I mean? And I say we've given it that, that to them because also on that flip side, parents weren't prepared to deal with it, right? And the technologists creating all this stuff were like dudes in their 20s 
And now that they're dads, they're looking back and saying like, oh man, we made some mistakes. We need to walk back a few things. But I think this is why we see so many of our kids struggling is because of kind of this unfettered access we've had without a full knowledge of what the real dangers and results were going to be. Yeah, I agree completely. It's like parenting went to five levels up in just a matter of a few years in terms yeah. of technologies, smartphones, social media, and, and all of that. And hey, you know, I can't, we can't blame them. And, but I agree with you. There's going to be a 10 year span or something like that where we go, where we look back and go, wow, wow, I can't believe we did X, Y, and Z, or we didn't manage that. And parents, I mean, how could you know? The parenting game totally changed, right? Yep. And honestly, what parenting requires now in this game is a whole lot more emotional intelligence than I think it ever did before. Like we have to be ready for so many different kinds of conversations with our kids that frankly, our parents didn't have to have with us. Yeah, it was quite simple back then, right? In retrospect, I'm gonna say yeah. Yeah, I, I agree completely. So, so next question is, so in your opinion, now that we're getting more aware, now that families and young people, were, we know that this is something that we need to manage, why are parents struggling to do it? Is it apathy? Is it laziness? Is it lack of knowledge? Is it lack of resources and tools? What's your opinion on that? I think it's all the things but that you just mentioned. I think it's all of that. But I also think that we would really like for there to be just one app or one tool or one rule that we could set and forget and move on. And that's not the solution for this problem. It's, it's complicated. just not, it's, it's complicated. complicated. And, you know, I'd love to tell you the rules at my house, but guess what? The rules are going to be different at your house. They're going to be different for every one of your kids. Like it's going to be a daily, weekly, monthly conversation as much as if I want to live, if I want to have a healthy diet and a healthy body and be physically fit every day when I wake up, I have to think about what I'm going to put in my body for breakfast. I'm going to have to like, like shake myself out of my work at my computer and be like, all right, I'm going to go on a walk and take my calls on a walk or have the, you know, determination to go like workout or whatever. And then when three o'clock hits and all I want to do is eat chocolate, I've got to like work myself through a healthier choice. Right. And in the same way that being physically healthy that way, like our, when we consider our, you know, nutritional diet, we have to think of our tech behaviors and the tech diet we're on in the same way. It's an everyday thing. I talk to my kids about their technology every single day. They used to roll their eyes and now they're just used to it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a daily effort. And that's, I think, in, in my experience, the, the modern parent is exhausted right now. Yes. Because yes. it's not just that that's an effort, right? It's club sports because sports is now at a whole new level. It's, making sure they're in the right schools or the right classes or advanced or AP because they've got to have parenting's just gone. I just see overwhelmed parents, well-intentioned, loving, great, fantastic people that are just over it. Not in that they don't want to raise good kids, but they're over it in that, in my opinion, and you and I have talked about this, it's a community issue. It's not just within the family. Hey, let's set a few rules and let's knock it out and, and get over our problems. 
there, there are all these new pressures that are pushing on people that, that are going next level. So this is a good segue into your ebook, Tech Reset. It's coming out the end of this week, next week. Yeah, the end of this week. Congratulations. That's, that's a big accomplishment. Uh, you. you and I spoke, and this is what prompted this podcast interview about six months ago. We had a great conversation, catching up on things, and I've heard so much talk about how dangerous social media and all, how bad the technology is, and I'm part of that conversation because I see the problems it's causing with my own clients in my program and my own family, and you're the first person who has sat me down and walked me through a very reasonable, rational, step-by-step process to get this under quote unquote control. And that's, let's talk about tech reset. So what's your approach? How do you do it? Let's, let's get away from the, okay, we know it's dangerous. We know it's causing problems. We know everybody wants to get off their phones. All right. What do we do? What is the family of three or four, three or four kids right now? They got teenagers, they've got little ones. What do they do? What's your first step? Well, so the first thing I want to say, and it relates to the stuff you just talked about, about exhausted parents the reminder I have to give people so much and a lot of parents who come and say like, you know what? I've screwed up. There's no going back. I've like, you know, taken the lid off the can or whatever that phrase is, open the jar. Uh, you know, I can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. It's just too late. Right. Uh-huh. And it's not. So the first thing I just have to do is remind everybody that, Hey, guess what? You're the parent. Like, and also this madness as parents that we are putting ourselves through, Let's take responsibility for that because all that madness, that running our kids everywhere, that over-programming, all that stuff, at a point that's on us. A lot of it is on us. And we've got to redefine what success looks like for our kids because let's be honest, like all that ridiculous hustle that you're putting everybody through, your kids are putting you through, you're putting them through, a lot of it just plain doesn't matter. So like it's time to take a step back and just be like, all right, what really matters first, remind yourself that you're the parent and then, you know, also admit that you've made mistakes. Can, so, I, ch- can I challenge you for a sec, Rach? Yeah. Challenge because, me. Because this is something that comes up when, when I have this conversation with people and it is you play, you played high school sports, you played softball, right? Mm-hmm. Good experience. Yeah, totally. You had a great experience with that. I played football and rugby and baseball. You know, I had great, so what do you say to the parent that's like, hey, I, I want my child to have a great high school sport experience, but in order to do that, they have to be in club sports now year round, or they're not even going to get a shot. Let, let's talk about that for just a second. And what's your, what would be your response? Because I don't have teenagers yet. I'm not there yet, right? I've got the babes, my twins. So how do you frame that in terms of like being intentional as a parent and what redefining success was the term you used? Let me lead with one piece, which is a lot of parents aren't doing that hustle just for high school sports, right? Um, There are illusions of grandeur on the other side of that. So like, I don't know, let's look back to high school and maybe there's more, but how many of our friends ended up playing professional sports or became a professional dancer? And this may sound like the biggest Debbie Downer, Andrew, like, let me crush all your dreams in one fell swoop (laughs) and you know what you may look at your kid and there may be that possibility and you may buy into that shared vision together and really go after it and say that it's worth it but let me just tell you my dream for my kids my dream for my kids is that they will leave me with emotional intelligence 
that they will be ready to have healthy functional relationships, that I will have taught them the skills they need to be happy and build good habits, even though those are going to be touch and go things through their whole life. Like those are lessons we continue to learn. But I am far more concerned with sending my kid into the world with soft skills than I am that like I am worried about his batting average. Mm-hmm. You know, plain yeah. and simple for me. And I think all of us know our kids well enough to say, let's be realistic. I mean, I say this all the time. My son, my son's dream would be to go and play Premier League soccer in England and to be an underwear model on the side because he thinks it'd be smart to diversify his income. <laughs> <laughs> and and sports has been a gift to my child because it has taught him to work hard and do all the things. And he's played club soccer, but guess what? That's all he does. I don't have him in 10 sports. You know, he plays club soccer. He plays at the high school. He's had to work his butt off for it. Um, but you know, there's a lot of other balance that exists in his life as well. But I also, I don't have all, all, I haven't pushed all my chips in on him going and and being a professional soccer player. I have my chips pushed in on the quality of that kid's soul. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I don't know if that helps with that argument at all. Um, but I think every parent out there who's, you know, driving their kids to the edge or their kids are driving them to the edge with sports, maybe just have that conversation about what's most important, where we at, do that really good inventory because you know what, you can raise a star athlete, but if they're not happy, if they're not happy, if they don't have good habits, if they're that kid that's mired down in that anxiety, fear, depression, and suicidal thoughts, then we're failing. Yeah. And I, you know, I think some of these parents where they're coming from is they just want their kid to have the high school experience they had right and it yeah. they feel that in order to get that they have to go next level just to just to even have what you and i had without having to do the club sports year-round and the camps and everything we just tried out for the team and if we were good enough we got on it and yeah you know that's that's one example of an area where it's just totally changed right and the, I, but I would also say with a child in high school and at a pretty decent high school it's not as bad as it looks. Gotcha. There's plenty of kids making the team. You know, there are schools and school districts out there in the United States, I'm positive, you know, that that have that super intense over the top scenario. Um, but I will also say that parents are probably co-creating that that scenario, not the schools. Okay. Good to know. That's helpful. I don't know. That's me. (laughs) No, that's great. That's great. And I don't want to derail us. I want to get back to tech reset, but I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that because it's an answer I don't have. The other one I think would be the, you know, and this isn't as relevant in Utah, but in a lot of States, private school is the route that a lot of families want to go. And it's pretty common and getting into the right school, even the right preschool is key to that process. And, and again, it's, it's something I don't know what to tell people when they're like, well, what do I do about getting them into the right preschool waiting lists and long things like that? And maybe we don't have to have all the answers today, but you know, these are the things that I'm seeing people discouraged about. It's not that they necessarily want it for their kid. It's that, as we said earlier, the pressures of parenting are pushing them in that direction. They feel like they kind of have to play along in order for their kid to have a quote unquote normal experience as opposed to what we used to have. Yeah. And you know, it's hard. Like I don't discount that part at all. And I I would say, I mean, Hey, I live in the neighborhood I grew up in and it's a pretty great neighborhood. 
Um, and in my opinion, I don't feel that hustle around me. So there's things you can control and things you can't, right? And maybe in those, some of those situations, you have to say, is this the community and the atmosphere that I want to raise my family in? You know, I hate to be like this extremist in a lot of these answers, but the hard truth is, as parents, like at some point, we've got to make some really big calls on that stuff because that doesn't have to be the reality. It just doesn't. That, that means a lot coming from you. I don't want to say that, and I don't think I'm in a place where I can, but to hear yeah. you say that, and I know how driven you are, you're not, you're not a mom that's just going to be like, let's sit around and watch TV and give up on it all. That, that actually means, I think that's a pretty powerful statement. But I also say that from the position that if you are living in a place where you're doing the private school hustle, my assumption is that you have a fair amount of privilege that you're working with, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like I am not saying that to the parents that are trying to make ends meet, right? and are trying to figure out how to balance, like, can I get my kid into a charter school or a neighborhood school is total garbage, right? Mm -hmm. I'm really pointing to the parents who, if you have that level of privilege that you can pay the money for those programs, then you also have the, the level of privilege that would let you choose where you wanna live, right? So like, like, I can't say that's a blanket statement. Gotcha, that, that makes a lot of sense, and I, I think, it sounds like what you're saying is, is we, we really need to reevaluate our priorities in, yeah. in, in redefining success. And listen, you're talking to a guy that's going to definitely move his kids to the jungle, <laughs> deep in the jungle where there's not going to be much, you know, other than nature. Um, and guess what? There's a price for you doing that, right? Like, I feel like I'm being so hardcore about this, <laughs> but you're making some hard trade-offs because you know, actually what you're going to give your kids is very different than what you had growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, and that can feel like scary and dangerous. And there's some like prices you pay to do that. Um, but you made a really clear choice that like those trade-offs are worth it for you. And I just think we need more bold parents like you who are willing to say, guess what, what we're doing doesn't need to look like everybody else. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Back to tech reset. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for letting me go down that rabbit hole because it's one that I, I've wanted to get more perspective on. And I appreciate your boldness because I don't think people feel comfortable being that bold to say, I can't. And maybe there's another way. And that's, yeah. Wow. Good job. So I get a little fired up. And guess what? I'm also willing to be super wrong. Like everybody's situation is different. But I think, I guess I just think a little more of that boldness in our decision-making would help our families a whole lot. So. Right. I love it. So redefining anyway. success is your first step. Yes. Um, okay. So the next thing for me is, um, well, there's, there's that. And then of course, like I was just saying, like, let's be really honest with our kids. Hey, you know what? I, I'm taking responsibility. I said yes to this. Put it in your hand. I paid for your cell service. I bought you the iPhone 10 or you know, just gave you a smartphone too young or whatever the circumstances are, we have to, as parents, be able to say, you know what, guys, I made a mistake and I want to do better and I want you guys to do better with me. Um, here's what scares me. Here's, here's what some of the consequences are out there for what's going on. And I want us to problem solve together, right? And a lot of people are going to think, oh man, that conversation alone is really challenging to have, right? Um, that's, that's also demanding a lot of emotional intelligence from yourself and from your kids. But it's important that we say like, eh, I dropped the ball, I messed up and forgive me and let's try to fix this thing. 
Um, so the next piece of that that's super important to me is creating a shared vision. So and again, this will work different in every house, but here's how it worked at our house. So I think, Andrew, I told you about my math problem, right? I use your math problem. So yes. to, like, let's go into it. All right. So, and it's also important to say that we don't have this conversation with shame. Like this isn't about shaming anybody about what their numbers are going to be to the answer to this math problem. It's about just figuring out where we're at. So the first question I ask is, all right, how much time do you want to spend on your phone? I'm going to pick on my, my 16 year old again. So when we did this a couple years ago, his answer was, I don't know, like 45 minutes a day. And I'm like, okay, so let's figure out where we're really at. We pull up, you know, this was before screen time tools. So it was just battery usage, right? On the iPhone. And I was like, oh, bud, you're like five or six hours a day. Once all is said and done, right? And the stats are today that the average teenager spends like nine hours a day with their screens. And adults. Um, and adults, right? And I've yes. looked this up three or four times. And for anybody who's listening who thinks she's wrong, you, she's right. There's yeah. consistent data that all of us are spending this much time on our devices. Yep. Um, and actually, I'm going to bring up an example after I tell you the math problem. I just wrote myself a note. So then what we do is, let's say we take that six hours a day, um, and we're going to times it by 365, because that's how many days a year, right? So... That gives me 2,190 hours a year. Now that number still may not move somebody, right? So I'm gonna divide that by 24 hours in a day. Well, that's 91 full 24 hour days or about three months that they're spending. Now, if I wanna make it even worse, I'll take that 2,190 and I will divide it by 16 hours in a day because I'm going to just assume, which is probably incorrect, that they're sleeping eight hours a day. <laughs> they should be, right? <laughs> so if I, I divide, you know, that's how I got to my 16. So if I divide that 2,190 hours a year by 16 waking hours a day, now I see that that's 137 days. And now we're spending four and a half months a year with our phone and our screen. So I know like talking math, like <laughs> equations on a podcast is tough for somebody to visualize, but when you stare at that and you consider I'm spending four and a half months of my year with my face in my phone, that'll punch you in the face <laughs> emotionally, right? And then everybody comes up with their number and then you say, okay, where do you want to really be? Let's look at where there's needs in our life. So if we took a few of those hours away, like what could we do with your math grade? Or if we took a few of those hours away, what can we do about your soccer skills, that team that you want to make, you know, as we talk about those sports? Like, how much better could you be if you just took an hour of that a day and juggled in the backyard? I don't think many kids out there or many adults want to look at that number and say, yeah, yep, yep, four and a half months of, of my year, I would just like to be staring at my phone. So... That's a really great conversation starter to try to create a shared vision and, and really start to say, okay, here's the truth. This is what that means at scale. And what do we want to shoot for? Like, like how do we want to be better just to get people on the same page and realizing, you know, I want to change. So for that average number of nine hours a day for kids, uh, that means they're spending six months a year, half of their year. And over time, does that turn into half of their life, right? With their, their face down in the screen. 
So anyway, the mom example I wanted to give you was we just did a workshop this weekend and one of the moms, and I walked everybody through the math and one of the moms in the audience uh, sent me an email after and said, I spend six months a year with my face in my phone. It's absolutely true that parents are doing that too. Great. So you, you, okay. when you did this with your kids, you caught their attention. For sure. And when I do this in a, in a group of adults or with groups of kids and they get to that number, it catches their attention. And I think this is an important point. And I'm a big believer in these younger generations. It's easy for us to criticize, but that's kind of my soapbox. You know, these younger people get it. They're not just idiots. They, they're, not, they're not oblivious to the fact that this is a problem. If you sat down with most teenagers right now and asked them, hey, do you think this is a problem? 90% of them would say, oh, it's a huge problem. They're not oblivious to what's going on here. I have not met a kid, and I've talked to loads of them, who has said, I really wish I was spending more time, like, on my phone. Mm -hmm. They don't. Um, and I agree with you. They're not dumb. And when you arm them with information and make them part of the conversation, as opposed to this kind of constant police state that we're in as parents, it becomes super different. I mean, the, the update to this is, you know, here's part of the daily touch point I've had with my kids. We went to the pediatrician, you know, my two older kids have had sore throats, you know, it's about spring breaks. So we had to make sure we're good. Um, and on the, the wall, it said two hours of screen time a day. And so, you know, on the way home, we just talked, what do you guys think of that? The number two hours, like, is that reasonable? Could you spend two hours across, you know, devices? Is that a reasonable target even for teenagers? Because they were laying this out as a number for kids and just had a conversation about it. I mean, there's just ways that we should always be talking about it. And, you know, sorry to interrupt, but I got to geek no, out because I have facts to support that. Gene Twenge, who writes the iGen books and the Generation yes. books, the tipping point is two hours. After two hours a day, especially in females, young, young females, the tipping point for depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation goes up significantly. Yeah. Two hours. So I love that. I had to. No, I love it. That's such a good number. And honestly, that's that's what we're constantly gunning for with my kids is two hours, two hours a day. Now, I also think all screen time's not created equal, right? So if they're talking on their phone, like on their earbuds or their whatever, I don't count that towards their screen time because if they're using their brains and their voices to communicate with another human being, I am happy as a clam, right? Yeah. <laughs> because that's still developing their emotional intelligence. So there's some ways that, you know, I'll discount in some areas because, you know, some of that stuff I am perfectly content with, but most of it I'm not, right? So two hours, and, and the thing that I can get back from my kids is, yeah, no, I think that's reasonable and we, we continue to talk about it. So, so when anyway. you say two hours, could we just be a little more specific though? Because I know people out there going, all right, you know, there's homework time, that's computer screen time there's, well, I'm just going to use that as the one example, right? But what are we saying when we say screen time? Is that iPhone, smartphone, I can do whatever I want, play video games, social media, et cetera? Or is well, that include homework time? For kids that are in elementary school, my and this is my take, and I am not a researcher. I am just a fired up mom. It's <laughs> done a lot of reading and talked to a lot of people. Um, so like my fourth grader, for instance, she has next to, I, 
I will keep her as screen free as possible, right? And what her screen time counts for is if she's gonna play a video game or watch a movie or whatever. Other than that, she should be playing Legos, reading books, running around with her friends, you know? Um, so her, her screen time, that's two hours in total, right? And, and on a perfect day, it's next to nothing. Um, for my teenagers, that is a little different. I look at their phones as a two hour limit because that would include text messages, usually their phone time's in there, even though I just told you I'll be a little lax with that. Um, they do have some apps that, so like Audible, they have podcasts on there, you know, so there's, there's some push and pull on that. Uh, my kids don't have games on their phones, but homework is off the table. Like that is its own beast because they have got to use the computer for homework, you know, Duolingo is a, a language app. You know, there's there's stuff there that I, I just can't put in the screen time box. Cool. Thanks for clarifying. Now, that may be totally different for another kid. And, and you may have a kid where you're like, you know what? Their screen time is spread like 30 minutes on their phone and an hour on video games. You know, every kid is going to be totally different. Um, so let's see. So first you start with that conversation, right? And then the next big point is to set up the environment. Because assuming we've now set a goal, right? That we looked at where we're at and we've said, all right, I'm working towards my two hours or whatever the step down approach is from where they're at. Now we've got to build a physical and digital environment to support those goals. So the next big exercise we do is we go and we give all the devices in the house a job. So write down a list of every single thing that's in your house, your desktop computer, all the laptops, iPads, you know, cell phones, TVs, video game consoles, everything, and give it all a job because, I don't know, Andrew, tell me what your phone does. Well, phones are for calling people, or used to be. Yeah, yeah, but you can do everything else, right? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, there's a million functions on my phone right now. Yeah, and your iPad will do everything, your, your Xbox will do everything, your computer does everything. We're surrounded by all these devices that just absolutely do everything. So the first thing we do is take a look at the phone and say, all right, it is exactly what you just called it. It's a communication device. So we're going to delete and set this phone up to be a communication device. So that means there's no social media there. That means games came off, random apps that were time wasters, whatever, that's all gone. Um, because I have teenagers, a few things we did leave on were like Google Maps. Um, I left uh, Lyft on there as a ride sharing service because I feel like that's valuable if they get in an emergency or a situation where they need to, you know, no one's available and they need to, you know, get a ride. Um, and then I left podcasts and audible because for us, those are really valuable things. And so that's what their phones look like. Nothing else is on there. And then we also set the appropriate kind of time limits and restrictions for when that phone goes to sleep, you know, and, and when it's available to be used. Great. So the rest of the stuff, so then where did I put the games? You know, we made the job of the iPad to be games. And so all those apps we deleted off the phones that they were actually super sad about when I did it. Cause you know what, in some of those cases they are gonna lose points they earned. They're gonna lose like their player history. You know, there's, there's gonna be some collateral damage and you know, maybe, maybe you take them to a nice dinner and y'all get over it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the games went on the iPad. now. Everybody asks me, oh my gosh, then are your kids asking you for the iPad all the time? Because part of the environment, that digital environment we set on the iPad is that it has a passcode on it. 
and they have to come and get me to get them in, even my teenagers. Um, and they said, yeah, does, is everybody constantly harassing you for the iPad? And the answer is no, because the biggest thing is when we put everything on their phones, everything is vying for their attention. For the most part, what I found with my kids and other people who've tried this is out of sight, out of mind. Um, I can't name a time in the last two months that my kids have asked me for games on the iPad because it's just kind of gone. So that part's big. Um, so anyway, move through every device. Uh, we decided that the desktop computer uh, that is out in the open in our living space is for, uh, for homework. And if they need to find something on YouTube, YouTube is blocked as a website and an app on their phones just because there's no reason for it to be there. And it's that's an environment where hopefully if they're on YouTube, it's in an open space in our house and they're going for a reason, right? Like I need to find something on YouTube, not just getting in this autoplay zone. So having said that also on the iPad, you know, YouTube is also disabled and blocked there because I'm really just trying to set my kids up for success and create these environments to support where they're at. Um, another example people ask me about is video games. So for video games, we don't have an Xbox One subscription or anything that connects us to other people to play those games because our take at our house is that we're, we're going to have video games be a thing that we do together in the same room, not you and your friends on a Friday night in different rooms, right, or different houses. <laughs> because that's one of the problems we have with today's kids is that they're not spending enough one-on-one, -on -one, like face-to-face -face time with each other. Mm -hmm. So anyway, without naming everything in my house, you kind of get the gist, right? Is that, you know, give everything a, a purpose, set the environment to support the purpose and make that purpose be more limited. Don't make it be all the things all the time and help our usage be very conscious so that when your kid, your kid decides, I want to play a game, it's that they're making a conscious choice to come to you to seek out the game, set aside time and play it. And it's not just that they got home after school and laid on the couch with their phone in their hand and ended up with a game. And your kids were part of that conversation. They were part of that decision-making process. Yep. And some of it they weren't happy about for sure. Right. But they've, you're the, you're the parent. Yeah, I'm the parent. And, and even though they weren't happy with it at first, they have told me on their own separately I'm happier. Thank you. I'm glad it's this way. I don't want it back. Same thing with social media. Um, so the only thing my kids have is Instagram and the only way to get to it is on my phone. <laughs> and it's that same thing with the games out of sight, out of mind. Uh, it was a big time suck. If I could go back in time, I would have made them wait a whole lot longer. I waited. I followed the rules, right? And said 13 years old. But to me, that's absolutely way too young for a kid to have Instagram in their hands because their brains are just scrambled, right? In seventh, eighth, ninth grade, high school, um, developing. And that's really hard to throw Instagram in front of their face and say, hey, I want you to maintain a healthy self-esteem while you look at what everybody else is doing. So no but Snapchat. Snapchat is on my blacklist, that's a never. And, and so this is, the, this is the next thing that parents will push back on or that they feel pressured on is, that's how kids, connect and get together and you, we're pushing for face-to-face -face meetings that's one of the ways they use to get together yeah and i'd say also they have a phone where they can use their voice and text messaging works just fine right so if your kids are you know really going to show some initiative they absolutely have all the tools they need to communicate with each other got it
I will tell you, um, have we hit points where my kids have been frustrated that they don't have Snapchat for a minute? Will they come back and ask for it again? And I say no. Um, my kids' social lives have not suffered without Snapchat. Your kids aren't getting left out. They're not getting, un or not, not not invited, but they're not getting the whole like, oh, there was a big thing. We sent out a group text on Snapchat. You weren't on it, so you missed it. They're not getting that? Absolutely not. Um, I will tell you when they were getting left out, and it's when they didn't have text messaging. Gotcha. So I make my kids wait till eighth grade to have a phone. Seventh grade was tough because there were group threads. That's how they were organizing what they were doing after school or on the weekend. And I totally saw that that hurt. Now, the gift that that gave them is that, you know, they did have to hustle to make arrangements with people. And that when they were hanging out with people on the weekend, they, they got the gift of looking around and watching everybody in the room together, hanging out, staring at their phones. And they, they got to feel the frustration of being like, guys, can we do something? Like, this is so boring. I'm just staring at you guys, staring at your phones. Like, let's do a thing. So it's not always going to be an easy price to pay, right? Right. That's helpful, I think, too, is we have this conversation, is that for parents out there that might be open to trying this, it's not always going to be pretty, right? No. And you know what? You may also have circumstances that end up looking really different. And there are a lot of really positive use cases for technology. So I had someone share with me that um, they have their child and, and their child's cousin who's across the country. And they have a standing like play date on Saturdays at 10 a.m. where they play video games together for an hour. And that's why they have an Xbox One account. And I think that's fantastic because what did it do? It connected people it created almost an in real life experience for them so that when they do see each other, they've continued to bond and stay in touch over all this time. To me, that's a very different situation than, you know, kind of telling your 14 year old son, yeah, here's all your games. You're connected, you know, to the internet on these games and you're spending so much time playing with people you don't even know, right? Like those are totally different use case scenarios. And that's where our emotional intelligence comes in and has to help us say, all right, is this providing me any in real life value? So then we go to the last step in it, and that is why, right? Yes. So that having a purpose and like, honestly, I want to just have a sticker that says why, and I want to put it on everything because if we use these tools with intention and with purpose, why am I using it? That's, that's a big piece is being aware of that and, and letting that, that why be a really good reason but where our kids are getting lost and where we are too. Um, and actually I'll just ask you a couple of questions. You're probably better at this, but what do you do when you get in the elevator and you're alone in the elevator with one or two other people? What do you turn to? Phone. Yeah. What do you do when you're stuck in a long line at the grocery store or somewhere else? What do you do? Phone. So we turn to our phones, even as adults, when we're uncomfortable, we hate feeling uncomfortable and our kids are turning to their phones. Uh, when they're uncomfortable, when they're happy, when they're sad, whenever it is, right? But a lot of the times it's to not feel their feelings. Does it, I mean, it takes a ton of emotional intelligence to be able to say to yourself, I'm picking up my phone right now because I'm uncomfortable. I need to make a new choice. That's, that's a lot of responsibility we've put on, I don't know, I think we're giving like, what's the average age for a new cell phone, to, for getting a cell phone? I think it's 10. That's like a ton of responsibility to put on your 10 year old. It's a ton of 
responsibility for me as an adult is to be like, you know what? No, I'm going to feel my feelings. I'm going to sit here in this elevator and just feel my feelings. This is awkward. I'm going to feel it. But even more when you came home after a long day and you're like, I just need to zone out. And you know, you turn to something like that instead of maybe just like sitting down and feeling your feelings. So what we're doing is creating like the phone to be a coping mechanism for them. So by asking themselves, why, why am I picking this up right now? You know, what's my real intention? How am I really feeling? And, and walking through that to get themselves to like a better use case. That's, that's hard work, but it's got to be a constant conversation. We've got to train them to be able to do that as adults. So it's not always going to be perfect and we're going to make lots of mistakes, but let's get to the bottom of our why, both as adults, but helping our kids realize like, oh, you know what? Like, are you just picking that up because you're bored? Are you sad right now? Like, do you want, I mean, it even goes into why am I posting what I want to post on social media? Like, am I lonely? Do I need attention? Do I want to connect with people? Some of those reasons are okay as long as we follow it up with a real life solution. So maybe it's like, oh man, I'm lonely and I want to connect with some people. Sure, go post a thing on social media, talk to a few people, get right off and go call somebody to like be with you in real life. So that's, that's kind of the why. And it's a really, you can see these are all ongoing conversations. They take a lot of work. But the payoff in the end is that we get kids who hopefully can employ those skills and conversations for the rest of their lives. What's been the shift in your family since you did this? The long-term um, shift. I mean, the immediate, obviously, of less screen time, but how long ago did you implement this with your family? I probably started this when my oldest hit eighth grade. I still, I always had my hands on the wheel before that because I've been super concerned about screen time from the beginning. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation with my son in fifth grade when he super wanted an eye touch and I super didn't want him to have one. And we were talking about, well, what does it mean? What does, what's it really doing to our brains? And we were talking about that. And he looked up at me and said, mom, we're just like a big experiment, right? Because they don't even know what this is going to do to us. And I was like, yeah, right. I don't know that I'm really willing to let you be the experiment. And so we've had lots of these conversations and a lot of that push and pull, but really it was eighth grade for my son. So probably 2016, when I really started to flush through you know, despite my best intentions, we still had every device that did all the things. And just despite all my parent policing, right, it, it wasn't necessarily resulting in the best habits. So it's been since then. And, you know, there's growing pains. And, and also there's some times when I, I let back on the leash a little bit, because as my oldest gets older, I've got to let him have a little more responsibility and autonomy over how it works. Um, but honestly, right now, still not a lot. And, and so what are the benefits two years down the road? Yeah, uh, it's that we can have really great conversations, really honest ones without anyone feeling like they're getting attacked or in trouble. And we're willing to, you know, look back and say, all right, like, what's our goal? Where do we want to be? Let's keep tweaking. It's just this big ongoing conversation. So I'd like to say that my kids are more emotionally intelligent because of all this is what I hope. I like my kids, you know, I think they're cool. <laughs> yeah. Do you find as a family that you're sitting around and you're able to have conversations that don't end every two minutes? A hundred percent. Everyone gets on a phone, right? Let and me tell you what we just talked about on our way to the pediatrician. And I'm going to make it sound like we're a bunch of science nerds, but we're not. We talked all about how, what if planet earth were really an atom with a nucleus 
and we were all protons and neutrons and electrons floating around. <laughs> and then, and then they're like, no, no, like earth would be an electron because the earth would be the atom or the core, like just ridiculous. And that, I mean, my kids don't have great science grades. This sounds like we're really smart, but this is what we geeked out about for a minute, you know, and I've said this to you before, part of how I make my kids pay their cell phone bills is they have to listen to four podcasts that I assign them each month and it gives us something to talk about, you know? Yeah. One of the other things I talk about is in that kind of setting the environment for your family is leaving the bait out in your house for how you actually want time spent there. So honestly, like I've got stacks of board games around, I got puzzles out on the table, we got, you know, and, and this is the best example. My in-laws were over the other night and the pickup sticks were left out on the ground that my fourth grader had been playing with. And so, you know, not 15 minutes into their visit, did my mother-in-law get down on the ground with my 10 year old and start playing pickup sticks? It's because the bait was left out. I love it. So yeah, I feel like our time is better spent. I'll tell you, I think my kids are happier. They've admitted they're happier because of it. And, you know, I'll tell you, I think my middle is prone to anxiety. So it's been really important for me that this, you know, that I can see oh man, the deeper she gets in that, the more anxious she's going to be. And she can feel that. There's times when she'll only have her phone on the weekend because, you know, the volume of text messaging is ridiculous. And in those times, she will also say to me, mom, I'm happier and I feel that. What I love so much about this is the inclusion of the kids in the process. And, and that's something I, you know, we already said it, so I, I don't want to you know, beat a dead horse here, but parents are tired. They're, and the policing feeling is getting old with these with these parents that are just tired of it and i don't blame them at all and it's it just sounds like and you know i'm sure there will be families that have struggles and maybe their kids won't be as engaged as yours or you know but really sitting down and making the kids a part of the process sounds to me like one of the key parts of this whole thing totally and here's the thing. I feel like I'm fire hosing you so much with this. I also had some caffeine before we got on, but <laughs> I'm trying to condense with what we've made into like a hundred page workbook into this podcast a little bit to give people something tactical to do where all this stuff happened over the span of a lot of time. And it's the result of lots and lots of conversations. And that's what we've tried to do with the tech reset project ebook is say, here's all the conversations you need to have. Here's how to have them. Here's some worksheets to go with it. Here's how to do this with your family and spread this out over time and make those in incremental changes. Um, so I know I feel like that's jamming a lot of things to do in this short amount of time on a podcast, but I'll tell you it's those conversations and building those goals and foundations and environments together that make it work. Yeah. I totally agree. I'm excited for the ebook. I, I hope a lot of people check it out. Thank you. Thank you for all your hard work that you put into that. Thank you for sharing it with us and with others. When you and I had this conversation six months ago, I I, my babies were just born. I deleted Instagram off my phone and the Facebook app off my phone. I put it on on the weekends. And there, you know, I was in Costa Rica last week with my babies. I had Instagram all week. I was hosting it. I was happy and excited to share all the fun things that you know my babies were doing and I dub tapped those photos <laughs> <laughs> you were you you got in on the fun right totally and again positive positive things we can do with this technology still but we have to define a new normal so for me like Instagram's still on my phone because I have to have it be but 
I have parental controls set on myself. I got a 15 minute a day limit. And you know, I can tell you five to 10 minutes is probably just about where I should be. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Monday morning, Instagram, open it up, deleted it. You know, it yeah. takes 30 seconds to put back onto my phone if I need it for work purposes. And I do use it for work sometimes and, and things like that. And my Facebook consumption has gone down immensely. I, I actually did this thing where I put all of my apps that people are pinging me on. And there are like five different apps for work. WhatsApp, um, you got WhatsApp. We have one called Zing, text messaging, Viber. All of these, I put them into one thing. I took off all the red badges. None of them yes. make sounds and ping me. The only thing that makes sound and pings me is my work app. And that's the one that's the mo like, that I need to be pinged on. I don't get buzzed anymore at all. And it's been a game changer. And I, at first I was like, oh no, what am I going to do if people try to contact me and I'm not there for them immediately? Guess what happened? Nothing. Yeah. Six and eight hours without responding to people. Yes, all the time. It's fantastic. And no, yes. one, no one complains. No one cares. And I'm not as important as I thought I was. Oh, amen, dude. Like that somebody can't reach us at any given moment. We are not as important as we think we are. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to see how we've, we've built up in our minds, how big and important and necessary a lot of this stuff is. And I, I hear you. And I think the, the idea with what you're saying is, is make some adjustments, gain some momentum and check your life and ask yourself the question, am I feeling better and happier and more well-rounded? Yeah. And you're right. I get on Instagram now and I'm, if I'm on it for a week, I'm on it. I'm back on it. But if I'm on it for a day or a weekend, I look at it for a few minutes and move on because I'm like, yeah, it's, it wasn't, there's not much going on here. And you can feel the difference. You know now how you feel when you're unplugged and that, and, and so it, you can tell quickly when you get on Instagram or something else, how quickly it impacts how you're really feeling. Yeah. Our kids are living in a state where they're constantly plugged in. So they don't know even the difference of how they're feeling. So when we unplug them for periods of time and they realize they feel better and they go back pretty quickly, they can see, I don't feel good, you know, but it takes having these breaks and these limits for them to be able to, you know, know the difference between how they feel on and off. Yeah. Where can people find your ebook? Okay, so you can go to thetechresetproject.com and you'll be able to get it there. You also uh, would be able to find links to it from todaysmama.com. And yeah, we're super excited to get it out there. And I feel like I'm sending a little baby out into the world. It's taken a while, but I want feedback, criticism. Like I'm sure there's a spelling error in there somewhere, no matter how much we've edited. It hit me with everything. So tell me how it's worked for you. Great. And if people want to follow you on social media, I know yeah, that's, just, I know that's yeah. ironic considering our conversation, but you and I have talked about this. The reality is, is this is part of our work, your work especially, and that's life. So where do people find you? Yeah, for sure. So you can find me at Today's Mama on most any social channel. And honestly, I will take six, eight, 24 hours to respond for sure. I'm not a quick responder by any means. <laughs> <laughs> good hey rates that was fun thank you so much and it was extremely helpful and i look forward to more conversations about this let's go uh conquer the world and destroy this problem yes thank you so much for having me 
Hey guys, thanks again for joining this episode of In the Trenches with me, your host, Andrew Taylor. If you like what you're hearing, I would love it if you would subscribe to my podcast. You can find me on iTunes and SoundCloud. It's In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor. So thanks for joining and hope to see you next time.